Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. This is what they felt like when it happened. And today, it's how we should feel too. Because what it meant for them, it means for us. Well, good morning, Quest. Um, I feel like I was robbed a little bit today. Uh, as Ross came up and did the uh, announcements, he was able to say to you, he is risen. He is risen indeed. I, that's one of my favorite things to do on Easter, and, and, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm going to steal it back. So deal with that, Ross. It's good to be with you. It's really good to see so many of your, your smiling, shining faces. Wow, it's wonderful. Um, today, as we celebrate the risen Christ, we want to think about this, uh, what it would be like if Jesus were resurrected today. So Easter is our highest day of the calendar. This is the biggest day that we have all year round. It's, it's bigger than, um, you know, where some people celebrate the Super Bowl or maybe their wedding or the birth of the first child. Uh, this is bigger than all of that. It eclipses all of those kinds of events. And this is our highest moments when we get to celebrate this powerful event. But today, what we want to do is we want to think about this. How risen is Jesus for you today? Because you can believe in your mind uh, that Jesus is alive, yet your heart may not have gripped the truth of that reality. We can have faith for our eternal salvation, but zero faith for the present. We can say, yes, he is risen indeed, but then when we go back home and we look at our spouse or we consider our finances or we think about our job we're not so sure that the risen Christ really matters to us. So how risen is Jesus in your heart? Uh, there are so many voices that are speaking in our world today. One voice that stood out to me recently uh, was from a book that was recommended from Pastor John Mark Comer. You may have heard his name over our last series. We talked a lot about him. Uh, at his church, he has a book, a, a, a bookstore that, that has 10 recommended books to read. And this is one of them uh, that I thought was really interesting. And it, this is from a, an author and a poet who speaks about cultural voices today. And, and the book is titled, um, this is a mouthful, so bear with me. 
Anyone can paint their nails because gender is imaginary. Everything is meaningless. Love is a myth. Sex is gross. We all die and our stupid bodies will return to the dust from whence they came. So happy Easter, everybody. That's my sermon in seconds. We're done. You can leave. No, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, like when I, when I, when I read a book title like that, I think, man, there's no hope. There, there is, there's nothing for us to really be excited about. It's just despair and disillusionment. And, and hear me when I say this, I'm not trying to disrespect the author, um, or, or, or their work, but that's their point. Their, their words highlight a tone that we experience. Solarism does not work. The author says there's no meaning nor purpose to life other than what you can make of it because of all of these things, gender, sex, marriage, love, morality, all of them are social constructs that are made up to cope with the hard reality of evolution. Right. And, and if you're brave enough to face the truth, here it is. You're going to live, you're going to die, and then it's over and you're buried in the dirt. That's all. Now, I'm struck by the author's hopelessness. Secularism will let everyone down. And the last line of the title, I think, is really interesting. Our stupid bodies will soon return to the dust from whence they came. Jamie, the author, is referencing Genesis 3 from the uh, old King James Version, no less. And, and so what this reference back to Genesis reveals in, is that our culture, though it may try to ignore it, can't seem to forget that there's a bigger and deeper story being told. The Bible's story tells us a very different version of what it means to be human. Our culture, our culture tries to write God out of our story uh, by trying to tell us to follow all kinds of other gospels, other ways of living. So you've, you've got a gospel of materialism. Some of you may be familiar with these. Gospel of materialism, thinking more stuff equals more happiness, right? Uh, the gospel of marriage and family. If I have a minivan and a home in the suburbs, then I'm going to have a happy life. Uh, gospel of fame. All I need is more followers on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, the gospel of science and technology. If we can just get Elon Musk to help us channel our energy, then our world is going to be safe when it goes and lands on Mars. I'm kind of interested in that one, actually. Um, gospel of education. If we can just enlighten everyone's mind, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else, our body is ours and ours alone. However, so the story of secularism, it's just a story. It's an interpretation of what might bring good news. However, we've seen that this ultimately just leads to despair and hopelessness and keeps us chasing after all kinds of other things. Another adventure, another stamp in our passport, another sexual encounter. Eventually, it just leads us to say, who really cares? You know, let's just eat, drink, and be merry. After all, tomorrow we're going to die, right? Or, or as Jamie might put it, it's all miserable and our stu stupid bodies are just going to return to dust anyway. Or, this is what we propose today, we can recognize that there is a deeper story. The good news of Jesus is still alive and well. Jesus is risen and he continues to rise in our world today. Amen? Amen. This is like the eighth or ninth time we've tag-teamed Easter, and I can't help. Every time I'm standing back there, I always feel like I should wear American flag spandex without a shirt and an American flag spandex 
you know, thing over my head. And I know that he would be actually be wearing, uh, you'd be wearing, what, a yellow and green today, right? Because the Baylor Bears, you know? (laughs) Anyway, you don't want to see that, do you? That, that, That just wouldn't be cute, would it? If you come, you might get to see it. <laughs> maybe, maybe. You know, we know that government and education, science and tech are good, don't we? They're going to help with human flourishing. But I think we can all agree they are not the great hope. They are not the answer to all of the world's problems. In fact, not the answer to most problems. You know, when we try to seize autonomy from God and define our own version of good and evil... We get it wrong every time. We write God out of the story too easily because we don't think we need him. And yet when we remember Easter, we remember a bigger, a deeper story that is so compelling. That our great hope is in Jesus and his vision for human flourishing. His hope is for our world. It's the only hope we have. In in his death and resurrection, that changed the game. And that's what put human the human project back on track. So let's pause with that truth and ask the question again. How risen is Jesus in my life today? To help explore that question, let's look at after an encounter with Jesus, leading Paul to turn everything on his head. All took all of his head knowledge and began to apply it to the teach, understanding the teachings of Jesus. It's in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, a church who was struggling with many different uh, ideologies that were contrary to God, that we, where we see his most in-depth teaching on what we celebrate today, the resurrection. It's 1 Corinthians 15. And it says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to fast to the word I preach to you. Unless, of course, you believed in vain, is what he's saying. The word gospel means good news. But what is good news? Paul goes on and says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, and then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So first we see Paul say, all of this was done according to the scriptures. God told it ahead of time, it was done according to the scriptures, meaning the gospel is part of a much larger story, a story we see start in Genesis 1 where God created the heavens and the earth. And then he created humans, and not just as another animal, but created humans in his image, male and female, to rule over the earth. They were created for love and for relationship. Then these first humans gave in to temptation deciding for themselves what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, what is true and what is not. And when we gave in to those lies, it all went away. And here we stand today. They wrote God out of the story. That's when death entered into the story and evil and injustice became the new normal. And yet even in this story gone wrong, we learn that this was not the end. That God has a deeper plan 
We see in 1 Corinthians, Paul say, and summarizing the gospel so succinctly, he says, Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised to life on the third day. And we know that he's alive and back from the dead because hundreds and hundreds of people saw him. In the original Greek, it's interesting, uh, Jesus died is written in the past tense, he was buried is written in the past tense, yet when it says he's raised on the third day, that's actually in the perfect tense, which means that Jesus has been resurrected and is still using his resurrection power today. Jesus is still resurrecting things, still resurrecting us today. And notice how Paul follows that up by using this word appearing four times. I love it because it emphasizes how God continues to appear, that he will keep appearing in our world. God is interested in showing up in each and every one of your lives today, this week, next week, the week after that. So today we celebrate a historic fact, but more than that, that Jesus is in this room and his grace is still rising in our lives. His love is still rising in our lives. His mercy is still rising in our lives. His hope is still rising. Kind of like elevator music, right? And we find ourselves believing it with our head, but not with our heart. Believing it with our head, but not with our actions. We, we forget that Jesus is resurrected. Meaning that Jesus is actively involved in our everyday ordinary lives. Meaning when you lost your job, he's still resurrecting. When you went through that divorce, he is still resurrecting. And I think that's the reason we come back Easter after Easter after Easter. We remember the story because underneath all of the noise of the noise of life, we cannot forget the story. We cannot forget the hope of the gospel. It just keeps seeping in through all the mess that is the reality of our world. We need a wrestling ring here with ropes, and I can like jump in and uh, here we go, Shelly in, <laughs> Ottoman out. Um, we started off, we started this morning, right, uh, reflecting on this idea of what, what if the resurrection happened today? And it, it got me thinking, like, if, if there was social media back when Jesus resurrected to life, uh, what that might have been like, like, would he have sent out a tweet or an Instagram with like, hashtag told you so, or hashtag not today, Satan, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it kind of surprises me that Jesus didn't show up to Pilate or, or any of the other religious leaders, you know, proving how wrong they were. Like he, di- he didn't go to the temple and to the Roman soldiers uh, who, were cruci- who crucified him and say, well, how you like me now? Um, last night I was, I was watching uh, the movie Gladiator. I don't know if you guys are familiar uh, with the movie, uh, but uh, it's an older movie. So I'm not early part where a Russell Crowe is fighting for the first time in, in this Coliseum like place. And at the end, he raises up his sword and he's like, are you not entertained? You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I wonder, like, why wasn't Jesus like that? He, he, but he wasn't. He wasn't proud. He wasn't showy. He wasn't um, really big about these public announcements. He, he was more interested in personal encounters. Uh, after the resurrection, this cosmic, magnificent event that had implications for our entire universe, what do we see? 
right? We, we, we see Jesus come out of the tomb on Easter Sunday morning. He doesn't announce it to the world. He looks for a friend. The, the first person that he encounters is Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary, she had a troubled past. She was on the fringe of society. She had been tormented. And then she met Jesus. And Jesus accepted her. He welcomed her. He embraced her. And he freed her from that past. And, and now, as, as he's dead and, and in this tomb, she goes to the tomb. Tomb's open. And she's looking for his body. Doesn't know where he is. And then, of all of those people, Jesus reaches out to her first. And she doesn't recognize him. Until he says this one word, Jesus says to her, Mary. With one word, Mary's world is turned upside down. He calls her by name. God knows her name, which should be very important for us to pay attention to because it reminds us, you and me, that with billions and billions of people on the planet, God knows our name. Jesus knows our name and he calls us by name and he's been calling us uh, and saying, I know your life and I know your grief. I know your hardships. I know your past, but I still accept you and I'm still calling out to you and I'm reaching out to you, calling you by name. We see Jesus continue to have these personal encounters with people showing how he pursues them. He doesn't wait for them to come to him but he goes after them. He clearly shows how God is coming after us, after you with his love. He will pursue you. God never tires of pursuing you. There's another person Jesus pursues in Thomas. He's the guy that didn't see Jesus when he was first resurrected and appeared to the disciples the entire week that all of the disciples are telling Thomas, hey, believe it. And Thomas is going like, I need proof. I need video. A few days later, we see in John 20, he says, all the doors were locked and Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put your hand, uh, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Here's a man who put it all on the line to follow this one person, put all of his hope in this one person, and then he sees Jesus crucified right before his very eyes. So we see in Thomas what we see, I think, in many people and many of us. That doubt is often an expression of a deep wound, a disappointment, a frustration that's beneath our skepticism. Thomas is hurting. He's having a hard time believing. I love this image because it, it shows how Jesus lovingly looks at Thomas and invites him, put your finger here. Look at my wounds. And Thomas sees it and his skepticism melts into worship. My Lord and my God. I think some of us at times may have a hard time with Christianity. Maybe we're having a hard time with Christianity right now. You have legitimate questions that need to be answered. And many of us in this room, believer or still trying to decide whether we believe, have this struggle with skepticism because we've been hurt along the way, disappointed along the way by people, by church, by whatever it is. And it's caused us to have some form of doubt and skepticism. If you're having a hard time believing, Jesus comes to you and also calls you by name. 
and says, come, look, and see. Let me prove myself to you. Will you take that step to him? The last encounter we want to touch on today is with two followers of Jesus. We don't know much about them other than they were disappointed because Jesus, the one they had put their hope in, had been killed. They are leaving Jerusalem to walk to another city nearby, Emmaus, and here it says this. While they were, again, we see this fundamental truth of Christianity, of God, that God will hunt you down with His love. He's always going to chase you down. He's always going to pursue you with His love because He loves you and wants you in relationship with Him. And Jesus, in this response, begins to ask questions. He says, well, what's going on? And one responds to the question saying, are you the only visitor who doesn't know what the things that have happened here in these last days? It's kind of an ironic question, isn't it? The one who knows it all, the one who had personally experienced it all, is being asked, are you a visitor? Do you know what's going on here? And Jesus just decides to press them a little further, he says. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all that, that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides, now it's been three days since these things happened. Let's key in on these words. We had hoped. We had hoped he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Don't those words capture our hearts and speak to the question, how risen is Jesus in our lives today? I mean, those may be your words. We had hoped. We had hoped to be, I had hoped to be married by now. I had hoped for a better marriage by now. I'd hoped for a better job. I'd, I'd hoped for my student death to be, debt to be paid off. Or, or maybe you're saying, I'd hoped for my retirement to look different. Or I'd hoped that I would have been healed or healed of my past. Or I'd hoped that I would have had an answer to my deepest longings and prayers. We all know what it's like to say, I had hoped. What do we do? When things we don't hope for have not yet, or when we've hoped for haven't come to pass yet. See, these two men are caught in confusion and despair, so much so they couldn't see Jesus walking right next to them. I mean, he's right there with them. And if we cannot recognize the presence of Jesus in our midst, we too will find ourselves perpetually stuck and frustrated, confused never living up to the future and the fullness and the freedom that God has for us. Begs the question, doesn't it? How could these disciples be right next to Jesus and not recognize him? I mean, maybe because it was they were headed into the setting sun and they didn't have the Ray-Bans on, I don't know. Maybe they couldn't recognize Jesus because when he was raised from the dead, something changed and he looked a little bit different, I don't know. They were not expecting him to be back. They didn't even anticipate that he'd be with them. Sometimes I think it's easy, isn't it, in the discouragement of life to live life with no expectation? doesn't hurt as much if we don't have expectation, right? And we fall, fail to see that God is actually closer to us than we can even understand or believe. He's walking right there alongside you. Maybe that's 
We struggle with that because of all the distractions and the pace of life. I don't know, but the, the incredibly powerful good news of Easter is Jesus walks close to us. No matter if you lost your job or you're experiencing illness, Jesus is risen walking right next to you. And I love how this story continues. They actually have a Bible study with Jesus. He opens up the scripture to them. He says, Oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, from all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Everything in the Bible he's basically saying to them points to me, points to Jesus. He's saying, I am the central point of the whole thing, the central figure. And yet they still don't quite understand what's happening, who they're walking with. So by this time it's late. In the day they arrive, so they invite Jesus in rather than having him go on at night. And Jesus agrees to stay with them. And then, and then this moment of revelation happens. It says, when he, Jesus, was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. So they start eating the meal. They started eating the bread. Jesus breaks the bread and they go, wait a minute. I think we've seen that before. This image of communion and intimacy with, of relationship with Jesus breaking the bread leads to this, and it says, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened up the scriptures to us? And I think some of us have had that experience, haven't we, where our hearts burn inside of us, where the Holy Spirit's doing something, and we know it. The question is, how open are your eyes to the fact that Jesus is here, present in your life, in your circumstances, walking with you? How risen is Jesus for you today? Because this question is much more than believing everything is going to work out in the end and that we'll spend eternity with God. It is also about having faith that God is working things out right now in the present. How risen is Jesus for you today? See, these personal encounters that Jesus had remind us that some of the best things in life are surprises, the unexpected visits. That's what we were thinking about when we were reading this text, and, and then that, that took us further. We, anybody ever watch those homecoming videos on YouTube? about someone who's been gone a really long time and they, they, they do a surprise return to those who have been waiting for them. These homecoming videos, I think, again, give us a, a small taste of what it must have been like for the disciples when Jesus came back and what we are celebrating today. Let's take a look.
not a dry eye in the stands as father and daughter were reunited again. It's almost not fair for us to uh, get you all dressed up in your Easter best and then make you cry. <laughs> oh, but we are. So um, the surprise of the resurrection, you know, Jesus is dead. It seems like all hope is lost. And then he returns to us. Um, I, I, I think about these images of, of the, these homecoming uh, stories, and, and it reminds me of a God who is running out to us, especially that last picture of the father running to his son on the ice there. is a, a, a God who's pursuing us and running to us and, and welcoming us home with these arms that are open wide, ready to embrace us. Uh, it's very much like the, the prodigal son story that's found in Luke 15. If you're not familiar with it, uh, this is about a, a young boy who asks his father for his inheritance before his father has passed away. And, and uh, of course, in that culture, uh, essentially what the son was saying, Dad, I want what you have to give to me before you die. And it's, it's incredibly uh, insulting. But the father gives him his portion of the inheritance. And the son then goes off to a foreign country, spends all of his money, He's left completely destitute. He's eating from uh, the, the food of pigs. And then he remembers, you know, there's food in my father's house. If I go back and I beg and just ask to be his servant, then maybe my father will take me back. I'm just so hungry. Now, while all of this is going on, the story tells us about the father who's been continually looking for his son, waiting for his son to come home. And, and when the father sees him, he doesn't say, I see that you're back now that because you're hungry. I see that, that you need something from me. He doesn't care. When the father sees the son who's broken and tattered and torn, the father chooses to run. The father's just happy that he's there. It's important to grasp that the son didn't return home because he had a change of heart. He returned because he was hungry. But for the father, that was a good enough reason for him to come home. 
He needed something. The father just wanted to be back with his son to restore that relationship. And this highlights again the central point of the gospel and all of the encounters that we've talked about today. That Jesus isn't waiting for people to come to him. He goes after them. He pursues pursuing after us. He wants us to be in relationship with him and he opens his faith journey. This might be the first time you've ever heard this truth that Jesus loves you and that he wants to embrace you and welcome you home. Or this could be your thousandth time. But it's important for each of us, whenever we know that God is waiting for us, he's coming after us, he's, he's demonstrating we are. His resurrection proves that he was real and that he has defeated death already. Will you allow his resurrection to rule or continuing today? In a moment, we're going to uh, sing a song that's been really meaningful to me over this past year. The song is called Rattle. If this is your thousandth time of understanding that Jesus loves you and he welcomes you home and, and you're going to allow his resurrection power to, be, to reign in your life, then I, I encourage you to proclaim the words. Read the words. See what they say. And if you agree with them, if you believe in them, then to proclaim them, declare them this morning as we continue to worship. Let me pray for us and then we will we'll sing this song. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you know us by name, that it doesn't matter what needs so much for your son and what he did on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins so that we might be restored into relationship with you. That we can come home back to you through his death on the cross. And we thank you. We rejoice in his resurrection. Knowing that he has defeated death. And we can live lives full. Because of his resurrection. So Holy Spirit, we pray today that you will work in our hearts, that you will help connect those thoughts that we have, the belief that we have to the truth, and that, and that we might live out and believe in your resurrection power and allow it to change. Accept our praise and worship now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I encourage you to stand and worship with us with this song. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.